I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Coming strong with another edition of Long Horn Blitz with Horns 24-7. It is a victory edition of the Blitz. Texas does it 34-24 over Alabama. There's the Wyoming game, but I don't know how much Wyoming prep we're going to do on this show. We've got a lot to talk about as it relates to uh, what could potentially be one of the biggest wins in school history as far as the regular season is concerned. We'll talk about it all on this episode of the podcast. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for getting your fix of the Blitz. The best way to get is search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. When that feed pulls up, click that follow button. You get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I got to watch the game from my man cave, and nobody bothered me, and it was a it was an awesome experience Saturday night. That, that's awesome. And dare I say, if there's something that could be better than watching that game in Tuscaloosa, it was watching it in the comfort of my own home by myself. So <laughs> I'm at that I'm at that point in my life, fellas. Uh, I know exactly where you come from, man. It's hard to watch football if you really want to focus. I was trying not to be mean to my five year old. I was just like, "Bug, look, <laughs> daddy needs to watch this game. I can't answer a bunch of questions. So, you are a mature man you are a mature man <laughs> so we uh but now we got straight she watched a little bit of it and of course she got bored with it and went and did something hey. else uh a man who's soon to find out what that life is going to be like uh on his game days uh he's a renaissance man he wears many many hats busier than a one-armed paper hanger but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears a Prelly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. 
I appreciate the intro, brother, as always, and uh, especially sweet on this edition of Lohan Blitz. Let me start out talking about the Bama game by one thing, and this is how football, you know, I just told my told the story of my five-year-old asking questions and she watched a little bit of the game with me but not not a ton when i say a little bit like maybe like half of the first quarter and then she was done but football has a unique way of bringing people together and when bama got the last neutral zone infraction on that last texas drive where texas out all of a sudden you know you realize hey they just got to kill the clock kneel it three times and they're out of here i start writing i'm furiously trying to get some stuff i'm on a deadline my high school offensive line coach, Clint Hudson, texts me and he says something along the lines of, tell me you saw that. And I'm like, <laughs> saw what? And he goes, I could have sworn I saw the left guard. I saw his hand flinch. And that's what the Bama guy was looking at when he jumped. Hmm. We talk about it. I'm like, and I go back and look at it. I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. So Monday rolls around. I ask Hayden Connor about it who was the left guard on that play. And you can watch it. The angle that it's looking at him, it's looking at the ball. You can see his right hand is resting on the inside of his thigh. And it's not obvious. It's not blatant. He just kind of flexes his hand a little bit. Like he's trying to grip something. And that's when the def- the defender jump- he jumps in the neutral zone. And it's a neutral zone infraction first down Texas. And wow. I, asked Kay- I asked Hayden about it. And he said, at first he was like, yeah, I'm going to no comment on that. And then he just kind of laughed. He goes, yeah, that's that's kind of something I've been working on. So I was like, man, my my high school offensive line coach caught it. I caught it on the replay, and then Hayden Connor admitted that yes, that was a little a little something something he was working on. So a little inside baseball. If you go back and watch that last drive, just watch Hayden Connor's right hand on that neutral zone infraction, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But so it's beautiful about this game, gentlemen. Great job, brother. Great job. Great info. Great nugget. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's like I saw everybody on uh, Monday Night Football last night complaining about Aikman talking about cadence all night long. And that's basically a nuance of cadence from the offensive lineman trying to do as much as he can to help the team win. Yeah, just it's not it's not blatant. Just a little a little flinch and then boom, jump off. It's a jump off sides and. Texas wins a football game, but we know there was a whole heck of a lot more than that that went into it. I, I want to start about well, the defense. Can I, can I make a comment on that, though? Yeah, go that, for that, it, Rod. Obviously, that's a, a fantastic nugget, man. It, you can expand on that so much. We could do an entire podcast about it, honestly. But uh, it's so football theory to me because that's the chess match within the game. Not only do we need Sark to win the chess match within the game, the players have to be also involved in this chess match on their own. High record. IQ. Yeah. With their yes, with 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 their part, they're facing these guys damn near every down too. They're getting to know them. They're getting to know their strengths and weaknesses. They're getting to know exactly pinpoint how these guys are trying to exploit and attack them. You are also involved in that game, all right? Against an opponent, the receiver I'm going up against. Can I see the same receivers? I don't know, seventy percent of the time when I'm lining up out there. So you need to learn your opponent as well and make sure that you win your individual chess match in battle mm-hmm. against that opponent. That's what, that's why to me, that, that nugget right there is it, it's so inside football because it shows you that the football IQ you just brought up, Matt, that Sark has been trying to emphasize and he's been trying to increase on this team so that guys can go out there and don't, you know, be coachable, but don't be a robot. Go out, you know, no coach. I don't know if a coach told him that. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Or maybe he took it upon himself to go, man, these guys are really, really anxious at the line. I bet the slightest movement in the right situation can get them, can get them to jump. And, you know, they were more disciplined. That's part of the game too. I, I love that, man. That's a great nugget. That's a great nugget. I'm, 
I, I'm really impressed with that, that that conversation that they were having within that locker room, if that's indeed was the plan. And that's one of those rules too, Rod, unless it would probably be the umpire that would be looking at it, unless he is looking at the right guard's hand. You're you're not gonna you're not gonna notice that at all. No. Yeah, no. you can see where he's lined up and see if maybe he doesn't have a great view of it, or maybe he doesn't see your left hand on this one, and whatever you got to do to just do that clinch, but it doesn't make your shoulders move, which is what they're looking for to see some type of actual false start. That's great, brother. Yeah, good stuff. I, I thought that was phenomenal. So, and then oh. props props to Hayden for uh for humoring me there oh, on, yeah. on a Monday. It, it, Mondays are crazy for me, so I can only stay for a little bit of the player availability. I might get to hear one or two players. And uh, Hayden Connor was up first, and everybody was kind of milling around. I was like, I'm getting my rear end over there right now. I'm getting the first question because I gotta I gotta know. I gotta find this out. I gotta figure it out. I gotta know if it was if it was real. It was true, and it was. So glad we could start off the podcast with uh, with that little nugget. I want to talk about the defense, though, guys, before we go back to the offense, because I I feel like we can talk offense pretty much this whole show. Yes. But I want to talk about the defense. And those of us who follow the program, us us on this podcast, you know, there's a lot of people in the market doing really good work. Or I, I feel like Texas fans, maybe now more than ever, are, are engaged. They're, they're able to have intelligent football conversations about personnel and scheme around this team. Everybody that's been following this team knew how good this defensive line was and knew this was it was probably the strength of this football team. But the fact that you got the game you got from your edge guys, from your linebackers, uh, the fact that Ryan Watts saved a touchdown at one point, uh, Jalen Catalan, when he was in there, was physical. Rod, this is about as complete of it. Now, I know there were some things with – with some coverage, coverage things at times where things kind of got a little leaky and uh, some, you know, maintaining the edge on contain, you can certainly be nitpicking and pick it apart. But in a big game, that's about as complete a defensive performance as you could hope to see. I agree with you. Um, I mean, they got five sacks, guys. And I, mm-hmm. I can't, hell, I counted three, four sacks on my rewatch that they, that they missed, like three, four missed sacks. The Byron uh, Murphy one was the one that stood out, yeah, on the yeah, and honestly, that was a they gave Ethan Burke a tackle for loss that could have been considered a sack because Jalen Milrow was still in the pocket, but he had started kind of to tuck the ball mm-hmm. um, to try to escape the pocket, and I, I think they just considered that a tackle for loss since he was a runner at the time. But yeah, man, that could have been a, a sack too. That I got to tell you guys, the fact that now Texas and we we talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on the podcast for months. You know, the Texas didn't really have a, a proven commodity at the opposite edge, uh, Baron Sorrell, right? On that other edge, opposite Baron Sorrell. We just didn't have a proven commodity. Not that they didn't have talent. It just wasn't proven. Well, guys, Ethan Burke has just been mm-hmm. phenomenal. I mean, he yeah. really is. And I love the way they use him. They, you know, they put him in a two-point stance a lot of the times. Makes sense because he's, he's, he's really tall. Usually with a guy that tall, you know, he's six, six, whatever he is. You're trying to lower the pad level more and more. Like, man, this guy's going to get tall. He's going to get too tall. Low pad level wins, and he's going to get taken out of plays because he's too tall. And it's crazy that, you know, because they put him in a two-point because I, I think, you know, they recognize his lacrosse, you know, skill set. And mm-hmm. a big guy like that playing lacrosse. Lacrosse, you don't – it's not about low pad level. You stay pretty high. Uh, with eye, you know, with your eyesight, so that you can see the action, uh, and then you rely more on body control and and leverage to 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 kind of win in in, in lacrosse. But 
in, in football, you can apply that. They keep him relatively high. When he takes on a blocker or he engages, he gets low enough to win. Uh, we saw him get low, too, on his first sack. Hell, he had to do it like a bear crawl. He got uh, cut and had to come back and then uh, make the sack and get on his feet. But I love him out of the two-point and he's so because I think they want him to clog up passing lanes, right? To get him on that two-point, man, it's hard throwing around that six-six long rangey dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also it can get low enough with his pad level that he can win in the pass rush. He's a really good run stopper. Um, I think his game, man, he's got what, three tackles for loss so far this season, two sacks seven QB pressures. That is probably the most pleasant surprise on defense so far this year that you now have an edge rusher. You got two now true edges in Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burke. Yeah. And if you just look across the board, what not only Burke was able to do with getting a sack, he had another hit and a hurry and then being able to make some tackles with some really key ones, like his three tackles, according to PFF, all were run stops where you're basically keeping the opposing team off schedule on that play. But it just adds up across the board, like the overwhelming uh, defensive performance Texas had compared to Bama's. Like you brought up the sacks there, Rod. Texas ended up with 25 pressures, five sacks, five hits, 15 hurries. Bama had seven pressures, zero sacks, three hits, four hurries. Like that's domination. Texas had nine tackles for loss. Bama had two tackles for loss. Like, that's total domination across the board. Like, you had players like Sorrell had five pressures himself. That almost matches Bama's seven. Murphy had four. You had seven players with multiple pressures. Like, across the board, you had contributors. Like, even on the outside, you mentioned Burke, who lined up outside on the D-line 31 times. Brer and Sorrell lined, uh, lined up 41 times. But then you have another 10 different players that alternated in on the outside from it was 12 by Hill. You had 12 by Bush. You had Ford, Ross, Finkley, all in double digits, even Binda. So the depth that you had, you had a guy like Tavondre Sweat for the first time this year. He played all four positions on the D-line. I talked about it, how this team this year had four of their five guys coming back that had played a snap over A-gap, B-gap, outside the tackle or over the tackle. Now you have a guy like Tavondre doing that against Alabama. That's just showing the chess pieces up front that you aren't afraid to move them around and be able to set it up how you want to be able to take advantage of mismatches. Like we talked about in the offseason, how a guy like Alfred Collins, you know, like his upside is Chris Jones. Well, look how Kansas City, really needed him on opening night he's a guy that can in the Super Bowl he was lining up outside because that was the mismatch you need so Texas having those type of pieces and being able to overwhelm Bama at what Bama is supposed to be the team that does that to their opponent that's almost the brightest sign you can see from this team the other thing there too is as you look at you know Collins and especially Tavondre Sweat who came up playing football as a defensive end you know, if you ask him to kick out to a wider shade, it's it's not foreign to him. Like, yeah, he hadn't always been three sixty two or whatever he is now. I don't I don't know what sweat weighs. If he's three sixty, he carries three sixty about as well as somebody can. If if there is, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, he started out playing at a wider shade. So I mean, if you kick him out to a three technique, a five technique, it's not like he has no idea what he's doing out there because that's the kind of stuff he started doing. So whether you want to play him in a tighter shade or a wider shade, he can do it. Uh, the same thing with Collins and, and Rod, to your point with Ethan Burke, I, I think it, you know, when we talk about his length and putting him in a two point stance, 
you know, kind of the the evolution for for Ed for really pass rushers. Period is when we talk about disrupting the quarterback, affecting the quarterback. I think we all think of sacks, right? Sacks is the first thing you think, or or, or just hitting the quarterback, getting a hand on him. Sometimes the way you can affect the quarterback is in a pass rush situation. If you know you're beat, just kind of retracing a little bit and just getting your hands up in a passing lane and batting the ball down. Like that's, yep. that's when we talk about affecting the quarterback. Cause the quarterback's like, thank God, this guy's not breathing down my neck. Oh wait, now I got to try to throw this slant over a guy who's, you know, six, seven and long. Well, good luck with that. Yep, so totally. that's, that's to your point about why put him in a two point stance. That's, that's how that thing evolved. That to me, if I'm Pete Kwiatkowski, I'm thinking, okay, we'll, we'll get him established as a, a just a good down to down player. Then once we start adding on the skill set, he's going to be, a, you know, just a nightmare for quarterbacks to deal with on a three down basis. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt if we start seeing him once he's established. Say once he's that I mean it's only been two games, uh, but he's performed at such a high level that we see him move around as well a little bit. One thing you're starting to see. You know, I, I even watched it on Sunday. I saw Miles Garrett move. He was playing inside yeah. backer, and they they ran twists and stunts in games with him. And he was up. He was phenomenal. He was great. They he was standing my- up doing a crossover move, yes. trying to juke out the center. He literally <laughs> exactly. was mimicking. He was playing basketball and dribbling a basketball. And uh, yeah, exactly. And I saw it. Uh, the Cowboys do with Michael Parsons. They moved him inside. He actually uh, ended up blitzing in uh, at the B gap, and they ran a stunt with him in the twist. I think it was uh, Oza Digizua. They ran a stunt with, but they you started to see them, the teams move around their best pass rushers, not only to find uh, advantageous matchups, but also to force the offense to identify where's Waldo, right? Try to play where's Waldo. Where's your yeah. where's the best pass rusher? Where is that guy? Damn it, we had a plan to you know we were gonna. Uh, you know, we were going to chip him or, you know, we're going to slide protection that way, whatever it was. But now, hey, maybe it throws off your plans a little bit. So I love the versatility. Uh, even uh, Sark, Sark, Sark talked about it, about the multiplicity and the malleability of that defense and how good it is. And that's why it brings us to Anthony Hill. Right? It brings us to Anthony Hill, guys, because yeah. the way mm-hmm. they used him, that, that's exactly how they should. And now, guys, the beauty of it is because Ethan Burke looks like he's ascending. He's going to be a guy. He's going to be a dude. Um, you got Baron Sorrell, who's turning into man. He, he just looks like he's going to be a consistent every down player for you. And now David Bender, uh, no matter what you think of him, and he's a stabilizing force there at off ball linebacker. Like he, it looks like he can be a guy that can stabilize that position. You're not obligated. There's not urgency to pigeonhole a young Anthony Hill in any situation. So now mm-hmm. you can play positionless football with him. You can move him around to off-ball linebacker. You can have him on the edge if you need to. You can blitz him through the interior gaps if you need to. There's a lot of different – you can put just put him on the box as an inside. You can do a lot of different things with him. And I love that you don't have to rush him or push him into a certain role now because you have guys that are, can fill those voids or at least to fill those uh, – answer those questions that we had about those positions, I should say. Yeah, and something that we've talked about over the years here in Longhorn Blitz and is the situations whenever, say, the Texas defense in years past sometimes had some blitzes that, say, didn't get home or didn't make sense or you're wondering what was going on. Like in this game, when Texas blitzed, they were so effective. Like you look at Milrose numbers. When he was not blitzed, he was 10 of 16 for 171s in, in the touchdown. When he was uh, ended up being blitzed, it was 4 for 11 
84 yards. He had two picks. His passer rating was a 55 when blitzed. When he wasn't blitzed, it was a 120. So it just shows how impactful Texas's blitzes were and being able to find the spots and be able to get home when you do send someone. They got home. Yeah, I think Sark mentioned this on Monday. The impact that the uh, the special assistants have had already this early in the season, and he mentioned Payam Sadat, which I think Sark said it perfectly. You know, Texas wasn't going to install the the double eagle flex in, in camp, but there are certain blitz packages within that defense, the framework of that defense, that fit PK. What PK wants to do. Uh, from a philosophy standpoint, it makes sense to utilize some of those. Um, because PK Rod, when we we've kind of done the deep dive on on PK the last couple of years, when he was at Washington, when they really had a rolling, he wasn't a big a big blitz guy because he really didn't no. need to be because of the no. personnel they had. But now, uh, you know, we even saw it last year. Like Al- the Alabama game was kind of the anomaly. Like what were they, Matt? I don't remember the number off the top of my head. They were like 30, 34, 35 percent blitz rate, something like that in the Alabama oh. game. I'll double check the numbers, but that sounds right. Yeah, I, I want to say it was somewhere around there, and, and that was like abnormally high for them. Because remember, our complaint year one was you just kind of played static defense, and there was no real imagination. And when you did try to blitz, it just looked discombobulated. But that Bama game, things changed a little bit. And then now, you know, I think these guys and, and talking to Demarvin Overshow and, and, and Jalen Ford last year, guys like that, they were like, we we want to blitz more. We're telling PK, hey, send us, send us. We we want to blitz. So I think it's PK understanding his personnel, adapting to his personnel. Now he's got a guy in Payam Sadat that can help him. Like, look, here's kind of where this is what I want my vision of this defense to be. I need some help designing these blitz packages because that's that's uh, Rod. You say coaches are just good problem solvers. I think the really the sign of a really good coach is admitting where they when they don't know something and going to get help with it i'm i don't know this so i'm gonna go find the best person i can that can help me with this pk brings in pyam sadat sark brings in pyam sadat as a special assistant who can help with the blitz packages i i think you're gonna see texas be wire to wire much more of a blitz heavy defense than pk's been in his career because you've got the personnel to do it and it works yeah it works i mean you just said uh, you hit it on the head right at the end there it works especially you know, it gives Jalen Milrow, who was making his third start overall, right, in his mm-hmm. career, a guy who is, we all agree, whose legs is the most lethal athletic trait uh, of his skill set, and he's not comfortable being a pocket passer. Why the hell would you make his life easy? Right. Um, so I, I hope that PK is going to become, you know, just a little bit more um, uh, blitz happy, if you will, because I do think it's helped. I was, if I was a defensive coordinator, I'd like exotic blitzes and the truth is as a player you know we heard sark say this don't we're not talking offense but sark said uh in his media availability that you know the reason he does some trick plays or reverses and uh, the double pass he said it breaks up the monotony of practice uh and then the guys actually they get really you know they're really happy about it they love trick plays. players love to run trick plays they think it's cool right and it's fun it, yeah, it's, it's very it's different it breaks up i said the monotony of practice a little bit and he says when they practice it really well he feels you know almost obligated to run it in the game like what the hell are we practicing mm-hmm. if we don't run in the game and the guys love it so much and early on even in that bama game you saw reverses you saw the double pass and um, I think on defense, blitzes are kind of like that. The exotic, really cool blitzes in the blitz packages. Guys love them. Guys love to 
come you know up to the line of scrimmage show uh kind of the, the show me sets uh and then you send other guys guys love doing that so mm-hmm. i think a part of it is it's a it's a it, it actually brings the defense it make it feels it makes them feel like they're more you know invested in the defense because guys love to be that uber aggressive and like i said blitzing is fun i did it a lot as a freshman i didn't do it a lot later in my career but blitzing is fun it is and, and that's not the trick play of the defense but it's close because yeah. you're always trying to confuse the the offense. So I think that's part of it. But, yeah, I mean, it's really, really effective, especially against, you know, quarterbacks who haven't seen a lot of it. Now, some quarterbacks mm-hmm. are better versus the blitz. We talked about Quinn Ewers. He's actually – he's not the quarterback you want to blitz a ton. Um, he's actually the quarterback you want to try to confuse and you want him to try to process post-snap. And so it helps to have more bodies to do that. Blitzing actually clarifies things for him clears things up and he's really good versus the blitz yeah. but for Jalen Murrow that wasn't the case right yep and your numbers were right Jeff it was 34.8 percent last year okay yeah I knew it was something like that you know Rod what you just said I know we talk football theory and get big picture on here sometimes but excuse me I remember uh I was watching I think it was the 30 for 30 on the 85 Bears and they were talking about going into that Monday night game and Jimbo Covert the Hall of Fame lineman for the Bears was Dan Marino's roommate at Pitt and he said he's in the cafeteria and Buddy Ryan passes by him. And he said, Buddy Ryan says, hope you know I'm coming after your boy on Monday. And Jimbo Cover says, he looks at Buddy Ryan, he says, I'm telling you right now, if you blitz him, he'll eat you alive. And Buddy Ryan just kind of laughed. And no, it turns out, same thing with Dan Marino. Like, Dan Marino wants you to blitz because it clarifies the picture. And he just ripped that 85 Bears defense a new one. And that money quick night release. Day. Yeah, right? it's quick. It fits right with Dan Marino's skills. He's got a quick release, so you come in. He can make a. He can make a, a even a delayed decision for him. Yep. But he's got the quick release to to catch up to that delayed mm-hmm. decision. So yeah, you you don't want to blitz some quarterbacks. You don't want to blitz. Patrick Mahomes famously, I believe, is that quarterback. I want to say mm-hmm. his blitz numbers are not probably no, they're, they're ridiculous. Like he's he, he's even better than he normally is when you blitz him because it clarifies things for him. So sometimes you can blitz, but sometimes you might need to try to confuse uh and use pre-snap uh different pre-snap movements on defense to try to confuse the quarterback and make them process post-snap so there's a a difference there's a difference between running some exotics to kind of get your your players minds active a little bit and and let them eat so to say and 2012 2013 manny diaz where you're so exotic that it just causes mass confusion yes agreed (laughs) And it, uh, your story on Buddy Ryan is totally fit that he was a stubborn man. Yeah, Amen to that. Yeah, He was. Kept blitzing Dan Marino. Um, <laughs> Rod, Rod, coverage-wise, I-, I wanted to get your take on this before we go to the offense. So we talked to Anthony Hill. I thought he was phenomenal in that game. We talked about the defensive line. But from a coverage standpoint, uh, what do you like, what do you not like? Um, I, I, listen, I liked a lot of what I saw in coverage, but uh, the truth is they, and I, I hate being, I don't even want to be negative here. This is more like just a critique on what I saw. And this is something that has been an issue for uh, the defense probably since last season. Cause I've been tracking it. Uh, their, their inability to defend bunch formations, mm-hmm. Um, that's a bit of a that's that's something they should address. That's something they're gonna need to address because it's gonna be used versus Texas in Big mm-hmm. Twelve play a lot. Um, and I noticed this last year because basically bunch formation, which are it, so those don't know bunch formation is a clustered group of receivers. 
in any form. It could be a minus split by a wide receiver, means he's closer to the line of scrimmage, you know, and then he's next to a tight end, running back offset. Some people consider that to be a loose bunch. Uh, it can be just a tripod bunch, which Sark loves, which is a triangle, but they're different, they're different receivers at the tip of every triangle. It can just be a, a stack twins with uh, receivers stacked on top of one another or a tight twins. They're right next to one another. There are different ways to cluster receivers um, and you can do it with running backs, tight ends or wide receivers. And against, uh, you know, in last season, I started keeping up with this Texas against Alabama. We saw Bryce Young complete upwards of 80% of his passes when he was targeting a receiver who was in a bunch formation or out of a bunch formation, uh, tech was close to 70 upwards of 70%. Iowa state upwards of 86%, which makes sense because it's a free release, right? So it helps the receivers get a free release as a defender. I can't redirect. I can't reroute. I have to read and react. It forces me to be a reactive player. I have to react to the, the, the brunch because I don't want to get a rub route or a pick route and I don't want to get picked off. So, you got to re- read and react to whatever the route combination is. And the Texas defenders, and I'm not saying they're bad at it, but it's one of the only things that have been successful and effective versus the Texas defense. Uh, all of, Basically, a, a lot of the big plays uh, that Bama had were out of bunch formation. You could argue they should have ran more of it. Tommy Reeves just didn't see it. Um, I, Based on my research, remember the two-point conversion, remember that was out of bunch formation too. They threw it to the guy out of bunch formation, but – uh, 87% completion percentage for Bama throwing to anything that's bunch stacked tight uh, from that formation, any receiver that comes out of that bunch formation. Um, you go look at the touchdown, 35 yard touchdown, third and four. That was mm-hmm. thrown to a bunch formation guy. Um, second and 11, uh, that third and 39 yard touchdown to the tight end. Uh, remember he was actually an offset wing um opposite twin so that means basically you have a tight end that's an inline tight end and then you have a tight end right next to him that's offset which creates their own cluster of tight ends cluster mm-hmm. of receivers mm-hmm. that's a bit of a bunch formation um that guy ended up you know make having a 39 yard touchdown um so basically based on my numbers you're talking about over 20 yards per attempt anytime Jalen Miro targeted a bunch formation uh that's that's concerning and Rice actually had reasonable that 37 yard a big play that Rice had. They mm-hmm. were targeting a guy out of bunch formation. They got a first down on third and four out of uh, targeting a guy out of bunch formation. They averaged over 11 yards per attempt um, targeting players out of bunch formation. So I'm not criticizing this, this awesome win. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying that Texas is going to be 11 to an undefeated team and go to college football playoff defensively. That's definitely one of, one of the things that they want to address that I guarantee they're already addressing. But I'll be a complimentary too. Remember, I was paranoid about the empty formation with Jalen Nuro. Right. Uh, uh-huh. threat quarterback defending that said Texas needs to have a plan. They had a hell of a plan, guys. It was, an, it was a great plan. Um, there, I counted 13 plays uh, for Bama out of empty. My heart was racing every damn time. Uh, no need. They, the three of the five sacks were, were Bama and empty. <laughs> uh, so Texas got after them when they got an empty uh, they got 50% completion percentage. Rice was better out of empty, way better out of empty versus Texas than Alabama was. Um, not a lot of big plays in the passing game. A couple of runs where he got outside the, the containment, but not many. Um, so they were 
not even mildly successful out of empty formation. And they ran enough of it. I think they were looking at it like I was like, hey, man, maybe we could find something to exploit there. Uh, Texas gave them nothing, nothing yeah. at all. So a great job having a plan for that. I uh, my one critique, not even a criticism. I would love for them to you know, be better defending those bunch formations, even going back to last season. It's been a bit of an issue. It's been a, a little bit of an issue. But other, but honestly, because their pass rush is so damn good, guys, especially with, with Anthony Hill, what, Anthony, you have two sacks in that game? Two, yeah. <laughs> argued he was a player in that game. I don't even know if he played – did he play 25 snaps? I mean, I don't, I don't even know if he played 25 snaps, guys. And the guy I'll pull up, it up. I, I think he ended up with, you know, with two sacks, six tackles, four pressures. I don't even know if he played 25 snaps like that. So you got havoc-minded players on defense. You got guys making – we talked about havoc plays, right, splash plays on defense. You know, you got Ethan Burke making splash plays on defense now. Jalen Ford led the Big 12 in havoc plays last yeah. – havoc plays per game last season. Um, Joe Jade Barron making 20, havoc 25, plays. 25 on the dot for Anthony Hill, Rod. I was about to say, you're spot on, right? right? That's what I'm saying. I don't like, just in my head. I'm like, I don't know if he played more than 25, but think about how impactful he was, dude. And those 25 plays like that, you yeah. got a, that's a havoc minded player. Like I said, Jaday Barron's one of those guys. Hell, shout out Jaron Thompson. I said this should be the year when he starts making more havoc plays. He made a hell of a havoc play in that game defensively. So you just had so many guys, man, that were making those splash plays on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and like to me, that's that's what stands out. And one of the things I – and we'll get into this later when we talk about the offense too, but I love the resilience of the defense because they didn't start out great. Alabama was running the football in the first quarter, guys. You guys yes. saw that. Mm -hmm. And and even at the end of the first half when Jalen Miro found a little something um, and then those those you know big splash plays they made, the deep balls that they got and the, and the long catch and run by the tight end. But Texas, bounce, Texas defense bounced back every time and made – crucial plays in critical moments man so this defense is trending in the right way there are only a couple of concepts that can keep them from going from good to great yep oh. and on those 25 snaps for hill this is how impactful he was he had three pressures four tackles and ended up with a run six run stops because he made so many plays in the backfield because right. he was taking down a guy like Milrow whenever he was scrambling. So he had those two sacks and then when targeted, he didn't give up a completion. So his NFL passer rating against is perfect. 39.6. Wow. Hey, Rod, yeah, real quick on, on the cover stuff are, and again, this is part of what what I don't know, so I yield the floor to somebody who does. Are bunch formations just natural? Are they naturally kind of baked into lending themselves to being quarters beaters by themselves, or are bunch formations just based on the scheme going to give people problems, or is it just they just give? There's going to be, be an more problems regardless. There's going to yeah. be an offense problems regardless. Yeah, Matt's right because uh, the windows open up naturally out of bunch formation, right? Because a DB, I got to be reactive, so I'm already backing up. So I can read the route because I, I don't want to be close to the bunch formation. I don't want to get picked. Right. Usually you got one guy that's going to maybe be up in a press to try to redirect. But mm -hmm. another defender you can guarantee is going to be back and he's going to be reacting to whatever the route combination is. And then based on that route combination, like you said, you're reading it. So, yeah, for if I'm, if I'm playing quarters, cover, I'm playing, you know, match quarters coverage. It does force me to potentially you know, put myself in a compromising position if I read the route combination wrong. 
right? Because right. it could be three different guys. If I'm reading that route combination wrong and I jump the wrong route and then I let the what is what develops at the number two, because remember, you really don't know what's number two, number one. They're going to be interchangeable with their switch releases. If I read it wrong and jump the wrong route, that's a big play. But if I'm too passive and I'm just backing up so I can read everything, then that's easy completions. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you're creating space. It is, I would run a ton of it. So Sark does. I mean, yeah. I mean actually, but Sark runs a lot of bunch formations himself for that very reason. Yeah, and there's really no reason not to. And, like, if you look back, I remember they showed uh, the field version. It was on the deep pass to Bond, number 17 for Alabama. And they showed the replay down at the field. And, I mean, Jade Barron's doing exactly what you said, Rod. He doesn't want to get picked. So he understands he's reading. All he's doing is going through his first initial keys of the play but the thing was is he's trying to not get picked that one step when he's just yep. trying to not get picked is yep. when bond's able to get deep on him and then they identify it and Milro threw a great pass and got it to him and i mean you see baron he is just beating it trying to get right back up and catch up to the play it's just because of the bunch and him understanding how the bunches are used basically against the DBs in those rules that that one steps there. And if that guy's quick enough, he's going to get behind you. Yep. It creates so much space guys. It's just a, it just creates space. And and Matt just described it perfectly. And that's why it's a pain, but I just saying that's, that's, one, that's, that's the only, honestly, right. the only concept that I saw that worked against the Texas defense and, and defend every damn thing. And exactly what it came down to. They couldn't defend everything. That's the one thing that worked, but everything else, pretty much the pass rush, um, I think the coverage initially was really good. That's why Bama couldn't put any drives together. Like they had no drives because Jalen Miro couldn't consistently make it down the field or work his way down the field throwing the football because the coverage was really good. But sporadically, and mostly because of those bunch formations, they would get a big chunk play, third down, the you know the touchdowns. That's all they really had. There was no no substantive, consistent movement of the ball via the passing game for Bama. They were just sporadic, big splash plays. And as long as they can – and they will figure it out because they're looking at the same numbers that I'm looking at. They will figure out a better way to defend the bunch. Um, yeah. But right now, it, they are susceptible to it. That's all. Rod, I'll, I'll give you my favorite. There, there's a lot of numbers to like in here. But what you just said remind me, I think of all the numbers I looked at, I think these are my favorite ones because this is something – if you're going to win a game like this on the road, this is the kind of stuff you've got to do. And this is just a comparison between the two teams. 70-plus yard drives. Alabama had one. Texas had five. Double-digit play drives. Alabama had one. Texas had three. Drives that took five or more minutes off the clock. Alabama had none. Texas had two. So, and a lot of that goes back to your average to go distance on third down. Texas 5.9, Alabama 5. Uh, 9.5. Wow. Not yeah, bad. able to flip back that back around after last week's conversation, yeah. which is huge. So, on, so if for Texas on average, you're third and six. Bama on average, you're almost you're almost third and ten on average for yeah. the whole night. And you're with, you have a quarterback that really can't live in those situations. You've mm -hmm. gotten Nick Saban's teams that have been the kings of success rate and staying on schedule and always being in the position you want to be in. Now they're playing against the eight ball with a guy whose skill set can be negated other than basically, okay, well, the defense has won this pass rush. Let's see if he can make a play. That's yeah. just utter dominance. 
if you've got, you know, if you've got Bryce Young or Tua, you might be able to get away with that. Uh, you know, playing a quality opponent and being in third yep. and long all night. But yeah. J- Jalen Milrow right now, the skill set just isn't. And I'm not saying Jalen Milrow is a bad quarterback. I'm just saying the skill set isn't developed enough. You know, we we could say the same thing about. I'm not comparing the two, but like a young Vince Young, or I mean, pick your quarterback that that's got that dual threat skill set. Sam Ellinger in year one. Um, when you get them into predictable passing downs, they are infinitely easier to defend, and, and it's not even close because you lose so much of the playbook. There's so much of what makes them special that goes out the window on third and long that it's just it makes it so much easier to defend them. Yep. Uh, there's no question about it. You got to make those offenses. And I, I was a little disappointed in Bama. Happy. Uh, but I, I thought they would have more of the quarterback run game. Uh, I thought they would do more quarterback design runs. I'd been talking about, man, you got to watch mm-hmm. the quarterback design run game. You got to watch. They're going to try to weaponize Jalen Milrow's legs. They did not really do that. And to Texas's advantage, they did not do that. Um, but I thought they would. And if I was, you know, on the other side, I probably would have tried to put in more QB design runs. They more just tried to spread Texas out and let him be an agent of chaos. And yeah. I don't know if that was the right. I don't know if that was the right plan going up against Texas defense, which we talked about. They filled with a lot of havoc-minded defenders. You want him to be an agent of chaos against these havoc-minded defenders, dude? That's where they. That's where they shine. They shine in havoc situations, and that's why he didn't really have that opportunity to, you know, make those big plays in that we talked about those uh, chaotic situations where the play breaks down and decomposes because Texas was ready for him when Anthony Hill's a spy. They had other guys they had as a spy, and then the pass rush was was so, you know, ferocious for Texas that really they didn't give him much room to really find win or find windows or alleys, I should say, yeah. um in the pocket to run. He didn't have any really. It was tight the whole time. Yep, he only according to PFF ended up with three design runs the entire game to your That's point, right? Wow. <laughs> That's isn't that dude isn't that crazy does? Yep. No, I totally agree. Like, yeah, you can't have his weapon only be, well, we're going to try a play. And if that play doesn't work, which is not his strength, by the way, then he can maybe scramble and make a play. But yeah, design runs like I would have been beating that home the way Texas would be wise zone read all day long because it's able it's able to get your players like Jamal Charles. Like we've already talked about it for years that like it's no coincidence that Chris Johnson's 2000 yard rushing season was when when he was with VY that season. It makes your running backs so much more efficient when you have a, a mobile quarterback. You look at like the I think it was the Baltimore Ravens last year may have finished with one of like the most efficient backfields in the history of football because they have a guy like Lamar Jackson next to him in the run game. So you're really doing yourself a disservice in the run game, which is supposed to be the strength of Alabama. And also, if you aren't developed as a passer, then it's sort of befuddling to think that that's something that Tommy Reese and and Nick Saban, they're watching film, they'll be like, man, how did we get steered into this alley, which is the most inefficient offense that we could have ran? I, I've, I've got not, not necessarily a theory on that, but just a question to throw at you guys on that before we move on to the offense. Because I've been trying to dissect this Bama offense and kind of figure out where they're going. Because, again, it's not like they're you know bereft of talent on that side of the ball. It's not like they've just got a bunch of bad players. I just think it just wasn't their night offensively. But to me, Rod, I don't know if that was as much of a, of the plan, in, our, in other words, using Jalen Miro as an agent of chaos, as much as 
I really think if you look at kind of their opening script, it really seemed like they just wanted to go bully ball against Texas and win that game in a phone booth. And then when Tommy Reese realized they couldn't and Nick Saban realized they couldn't, I don't know that they had a backup plan. I think they just said, Hey, just put the ball in Milrose hands and let's see if something can happen. I don't, in other words, it's their fault for not making it. I don't think the quarterback run game, making it a big part of the, the plan. I don't think that was ever part of the plan. Unfortunately, I don't know why, but it seemed like they just wanted to beat Texas in a phone booth. And when they couldn't, that was, that was the best bad idea they came up with. No, no, the, the, obviously the, the stats, <laughs> you know, the numbers support that because they did not run a lot of quarterback run game. Uh, and they did. They tried and they had success. They had success running the football versus Texas um, in the first quarter. Remember, they were running it traditionally, mm-hmm. running, running it pretty well. And I assumed that, can, that the contingency plan was when Texas inevitably, because I predicted neither one of these teams would they be able to run the ball consistently via the traditional running game. But then when the traditional running game was shut down by Texas, which I think all, I, we would all predict it because Texas rush defense is their strength. Um, then they would have went to the quarterback design runs and then added juice to the running game with the quarterback design runs. And they didn't do that. And when they didn't, I kept waiting for it. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're not getting it. And you're right. They they wanted Jalen Murrow to play hero ball. And I'm like, hero ball? That's <laughs> right in the Texas hand. They love Texas uh, PK love a guy that's gonna play hero ball because you can you can scheme up hero ball really well. So I yeah, I was surprised, but you know what? It wasn't it, listen, Texas did a great job game planning. They just didn't have to worry about the quarterback run game as much as I thought via quarterback design runs. I, yeah, because at got that point, numbers, I got some numbers for you, Rod. To your point, uh, Alabama running the football in the first quarter, ten for sixty-five in the first quarter, so exactly. averaging six and a half a shot. The rest of the game, they are twenty-five carries for forty-two yards. The rest of the game, damn. Yeah, I didn't realize and it, it was that bad. If you want to yeah. go and add on top of that, if you take out Milrow, just look at the running backs. It was 20 yard, twenty rushes for 63 yards. So 3.15 rushing from the three running backs per carry, which is not very good. And whenever you don't have to worry necessarily about the design runs or something like the zone read from Milrow, all you got to do is have your D lineman just be disciplined and be able to play the contain and stay within their lanes. And at that point, you know that Texas is able to dominate. And conversely, like when you have Alabama not being able to run and then Texas, you get a lead when you get the ball back with 7-14 and you aren't able – don't have to give them the ball back. You just run for three straight first downs. It just is imposing your will on Alabama. And this stat was amazing. And I saw that uh, ESPN Stats and Info's Bill Conley pulled the number and put it in his article from Stats and Info. In Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama, 223 games, this is the first time ever that his team was outgained lost the turnover battle, allowed more sacks, committed more penalties, and had a worse field position. First game out of the 223. That's dominance. Yeah. Mm. Dominance. No, it, it, honestly, guys, it should – I guess we're, we're going to switch over to offense. Yeah. But we know it should have been worse than that. It should have been worse because Texas actually dropped the potential touchdown, uh, X-Men early on. Another potential touchdown with Jay Brooks dropped. Uh-huh. They didn't quite get their groove in the red zone early on in the first half. They really hit their hit their groove in the, the second half, really offensively, especially in the fourth quarter uh, where they really uh, put it down on Alabama. So it, it was interesting. I actually liked the way it played out. I didn't want them to blow Alabama out, but the stats you just gave, Matt, and the two 
you know, drop touchdowns early on. Hell, I mean, this thing yep. could have been a boat race, especially considering Jalen Miro couldn't be – he's not the type of quarterback that can bring you back as a pocket passer from that yeah. uh, that far down, and they weren't using him as a design runner. And I'm glad Texas didn't blow out Bama, and here's why. I know people are like, what? That's crazy. I wish they had blown them out. They got to fix that issue, catch some touchdown passes. I know. I agree with that. You got to fix the mistakes. You don't want to be dropping touchdowns. But I'm glad they didn't beat Bama that bad and blow them out because I wanted to see them face adversity. I wanted to see how they responded to adversity. And that, to me, shows me that this this team might be for real. I mean, you might be looking at the real deal. First of all, we know that because beating Alabama in Tuscaloosa, it takes a certain type of uh, football team to be able to do that. But I love the fact that I saw – multiple players i saw a ton of different guys they face adversity early on before they made game changing plays and the team overall faced adversity before they went to the fourth quarter and outscored them what 21 to 8 right and had the best fourth quarter that we probably have ever seen texas football play at the university of texas i saw x-man drop a pass then come back and catch a touch the deep touchdown first deep touchdown that quinn has ever thrown i saw jt sanders have that incompletion that they thought first was a fumble that's called an incompletion and then he came back and had over 100 yards receiving great game but that was early on ad mitchell fumbled on a a reverse early on, came back and had a hell of a game with two touchdown passes. I saw Jaron Thompson get beat for the deep touchdown, came back, got what some people are saying is the most important play of the game with the interception. I saw today Barron lose contain on a blitz early on in the first quarter. Then he comes back and gets the pick. And then turns out uh, the Jay Barron pick, uh, much like the uh, story you just told about, uh, was it Hayden Connor? Yeah. Um, Baiting him. Yeah, that he was also baiting. He said they ran that play earlier in the game. He had seen it on film, and then he adjusted by baiting Jalen Miro into that throw, and turns out it was a great play. But earlier, he lost contain on Jalen Miro, who went scampered for a first down on one of his blitzes that he came in with, but he made up for it. I saw Ethan Burke early on lose contain on the play, just a little too anxious. I didn't see him do it again. Came back and had a great game. I saw Anthony Hill do the same thing. Saw him come back and have a great game. I saw Jay Brooks drop a touchdown, but came back and he's hell man with that recovery that he had, that recovery from the fumble that Texas had when yep. they were the tush push. That might be one of the biggest damn plays of the game. I saw so many players have mis- basically mistakes or mental errors early on in the game. Nothing wrong with that. That happens to everybody. Everybody's human. But the fact that they were able to bounce back, the resilience of this Mm -hmm. group and the bounce back factor. And the same thing happens to this team when Bama takes the lead and everybody's thinking, damn, here we go again. Texas played like the best team in the country for three quarters, but they're not a four-quarter team, not a fourth-quarter team. Are they going to finish in the fourth quarter? And then they come out in the fourth quarter and outscore Bama 21-8 to and put an exclamation mark on it with keeping the ball and making Bama submit, essentially, with a penalty at the end. Uh, I that to me just showed this thing, this thing that's high football character, gentlemen. That is that is that is high football character, not only from the individuals, but as a team. And it showed their ability to bounce back and battle adversity, not only battle it, but overcome adversity. It's coming for us all. But there's redemption, just like life, life, life is like football. There's 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 opportunities for redemption all around us. All right. Everybody's going to screw up and fail and, and and take a loss every now and then. But your opportunity for redemption, it's right there in front of you. 
You just got to go grab it. You got to take advantage of it. And just football's the same way. You can have a bad play. That play doesn't define you. You come back, and then you find your opportunity for redemption. And I saw that with all these guys. That's what I yep. saw. In the I saw them battle back and, 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 and look and take advantage of their opportunity for redemption. That was a it's a beautiful story, but as a football player, that's what I saw, and that to me tells me, guys, this team is different. I know I haven't seen that watching film for the last I don't know twelve years here on the Forty Acres, whatever it's been. Yeah, fifteen almost, but yeah, you're spot on, Rod. And like even like it was late third quarter, whenever you were back in your own shadows of your own goalpost, you're able to drive downfield really quick, and then you miss a field goal. But it doesn't shake the team. Like across the board, you had the areas that you were able to face the adversity. There was at that time when each of you had sort of traded bad luck. You have a missed field goal, Bama. You have a missed uh, deep ball touchdown, Texas sort of benefits like you mentioned on the the luck factor like last year you ended up having some bad luck say in the end zone late in the game when a just an odd quirky rule of football plays in the favor of Alabama and you don't get the safety call this time an odd quirky NFL or uh, football rule where you don't possess the ball you actually get the benefit it's just sometimes luck has to be on your side but you have to put yourself into the position to take advantage of those opportunities when it they present themselves in Texas after you had those shaky little signs that fourth quarter was just sheer dominance and you're able to respond across the board. And like, this is the first time, like you can think back and there was like the 2019 game two against LSU when Texas looked pretty good, but ends up losing. But the only other time Texas has had a game like this. And we talked about it in the off season where you go on the road against a premier opponent when you have a lot of expectations was 2005 Ohio state. And like going into that, you didn't know if you were going to win. You felt like you really liked your team, but then when you leave that game, you're like, all right, this team already gets to go and pass a test that very rarely do you get opportunity like this to truly see if your team can respond to those situations that you're talking about and be able to be able to come through in those adverse times. And Texas was able to, in now going forward, heading into the conference schedule, yeah, there are a couple teams ahead of you, but you can always look back at like, man, at Alabama, there really isn't going to be anything tougher than that. So this team already has a little bit of that confirmation behind them as they go forward and just needs to understand that you got to go and get the jobs done, but you already know that you can do it, which is so big. Those are the wins I think as a fan base you feel good about. And to cover it from a media standpoint, that's when the team you cover, you you feel like you're 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 following a team that's got something special about them. When they can have responses like this team had in that game on Saturday, like you look at it from the time Texas has the turnover on downs, Bama gets the touchdown pass to Jermaine Burton, they take the lead. The next three drives for the Texas offense, three plays, 75 yards and a touchdown. The Jaron Thompson sets up a one-play drive and a touchdown. And then a seven-play uh, drive, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Game's over at that point. And yeah, and you brought up the Jaron Thompson thing. He had just got – it wasn't his fault, the deep ball necessarily. It was a great mismatch that Reese put and got Thompson with the guy that has better foot speed to get behind the defense. But what does he do on the – like? Two drives later, immediate or next drive, he comes up and is able to make a huge play when he's in coverage to his strength. It was the, it was and the come next, up with a big pick. Yeah, the very the next ne- drive. It was the next play from scrimmage. Because Bama had the touchdown drive. Texas has the touchdown drive. And then it's a one play drive for Bama with the pick. That was the very next play from scrimmage. And That's exactly what, what we're talking Jaylen about. Miro, I don't know what Jalen Miro was looking at 
Oh, that was a, that 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 shows you that he is not ready to be a pocket passing quarterback at all. That, yeah. that was a two that was a two receiver route. Yeah. There was, was two receivers out on the route. Jaron Thompson didn't even have any work, guys. He was literally just sitting there like, all right, guess I'm just a free hole player here, pretty much. Just just gonna read the quarterback. He was surprised when he threw it. Like, what the heck? Oh my goodness. And it, it, it Jalen Miro just I, I don't even know what he was. There's no way he was reading that route progression. Because you'd have had to see the safety if you're reading it. He predetermined. I'm throwing it here, and I don't know what he was reading. But no, but offensively, you, I think that's just as a team. But offensively, you got to start with. We we all knew that if you're gonna beat Bama in Tuscaloosa, you trend. You had to have a transcendent performance by your quarterback. Mm-hmm. And and Sark was gonna have to call a game that was going to you know be able to get Quinn in a rhythm in a groove and get Quinn and get Quinn confident mm-hmm. early on and that's exactly what he did guys I, mm-hmm. that was the best game plan i've i've seen Sark have that by was far. the best game he's called like you by, said, far. by far I even close <laughs> um and it's the obviously it, it, watching Quinn Ewers go from a you know uh, uh he's basically end up going from a caterpillar to a butterfly right before our very eyes it was a beautiful metamorphosis by him but this is what i liked about Sark because i said this on the on the podcast I, you guys have heard me say this numerous times to win big games you got to break tendency right because one thing about big games coaches circle them and they do extra prep for them we now know no prep was done for Rice, right? No preparation for Rice. No, no. Thing planning for Rice. They practiced Rice a little bit, but I, I, I was probably right in my prediction, my hypothesis that they probably, probably had more or as much Bama material Rice week as they did Rice material. Period. I yeah. mean, Rice ended up with more pressures, more sacks, and more quarterback hits. By the way, shout out to Rice who beat U of H. So Rice ain't no punk either, right? That's so we feel better about the the way that Texas played versus Rice. But you got to break tendency because teams are so dialed in to your tendencies, to your habits, to your you know the trends and the patterns, what you like, your dislikes, your you know what your strengths and weaknesses are as a team, as a as a unit, as an offense, as a defense. You got to find the right time to break tendency. And you guys know I've been very critical of Sark's feel for the game, right? Great play calls have a feel for the game. Um, and I'll give Sark a ton of credit. He broke tendency at the right time. It was, it was a, first of all, let's talk about first down, first down yeah. pass rate through the first three quarters. He was, he was close to a, he was above 70% first down pass rate in the first three quarters. Usually Sark is hovering around 50 to 60%. First down pass rate somewhere in there, depending on the matchup, depending on the running backs, whatever. He was at 71% first down pass rate through the first three quarters. And he knows that Nick Saban's defense is built and it is organized and it is coordinated to stop the run on first down. He knows that. So he's like, all right, you know what? They think and run. They're good to stop the run. First down is what I'm hitting. But not just that. It'll be the first down will be my extension of the running game. So I'm not, hell, uh, I believe Quinn was 12 of 13 on throws behind the line of scrimmage, swing screens, smoke routes, screens overall, easy completions, an extension of the running game. So not only are we throwing it on first down, we're talking about some easy completions on first down. And basically uh, Quinn was at 80% completion percentage on first down. That's money. And he was averaging 11 yards per attempt on first down when he threw the ball because they also got some big plays on first down. That's breaking tendency. Another way he broke tendency, guys, love this too, 12 personnel. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, Stark got busy out of 12 personnel. 
Now, we talked about at 12 personnel announcement, one back, two tight ends. Usually, Sark's pass rate out of 12 personnel, between 35, about 30 to 35%. All right, depending on what game you're looking at. But on average, you're about 30 35%. The run-heavy um, look for them, yeah. Run-heavy look, all right? Yeah, of course. And, and, and defense is thinking the same thing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, two, two tight ends, they definitely going to try to run it on us, especially because it, it, on early downs, if you go two tight ends, they're going to run it on us. No, Sark was – he was, and usually his pass rate is 30 35%. He was, he was close to a 50% pass rate on, out of 12 personnel. And, guys, how about this? Damn near 13 yards per attempt out of 12 personnel. That 50-yard play at a 34-yard, a 30-yarder, they did a lot of damage out of 12 personnel with Bama thinking run. They can run on first down. They can run out of heavy sets. What do we always say? Present power personnel and mm. pivot. Pivot. Pass principles. That's exactly what Sark did. Broke tendency. He also did it with Xavier Worthy. Targeting Xavier Worthy a lot in the first half. Everybody's thinking, oh, man, Xavier Worthy's going to be an Xavier Worthy game. Nope, he's a decoy mostly in the second half. It's JT Sanders. It's A.D. Mitchell. He's a decoy, and they still kept doubling them, rolling coverage to him, and that's why you found A.D. Mitchell in one-on-one situations. Uh, it was it was a beautiful – I saw J.T. Sanders running free in the secondary. Yeah. It was a beautiful game plan, mostly because Sark broke tennis. And the most important thing, guys, I heard Sark say today, and go listen to the 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 interview, not interview, the media availability for Monday. And honestly, it, it touched my soul. When Sark was asked about the fourth quarter and how he approached it differently because they performed so well in the fourth quarter, best fourth quarter we've seen from Texas football under Sark. He said, you know, offensive play callers have a tendency in situations like that to want to get their offense in a rhythm, which I, to me, implies he was basically going a little bit more conservative. Right, going with plays that his players are comfortable with, all right, in that situation. But he didn't do that in this game. All right. He said, I he said I was aggressive in this game. I didn't do that. I actually decided to go against the grain. He said, I did the opposite. He said, I went, I went uber aggressive and it worked out for him. I think part of the reason is he trusts his personnel now, right? He said, This is my team. It looks like me, it talks like me, it runs like I would I want my team to run. They play like a Sark team, they talk trash like a Sark team. So Maybe he trusts this team now more that we'll see a metamorphosis, a transformation by Sark now that in the fourth quarter and, in, and, and after half in terms of the battle, the chess match within the game, now he may be more aggressive. He may have solved that issue. We may have watched it happen at that Bama game because now he's thinking, I'm not going to be conservative. I'm not going to get my offense in a rhythm in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line within one score. Hell no. I'm going to be aggressive and go win it because I got the players to do it. So that also was a way for him to break tendency. That's not normally start. Yeah, it's spot on, Rod. It's a thing that you have to do. We always talk about breaking those tendencies. And, like, if you think back, you talk about the games that he's called and which ones have been the best. Like, his familiarity is saving. I'd have to go back to last year against Alabama. That was the last time that you saw Texas go in and be able to deploy a game plan throughout. Now, Quinn getting hurt definitely impacted it. And I think that's what really impacted a lot of last season. But it was just so great to see – this game play out this way and now when you have another year under your belt a bit more familiarity with the conference hopefully we'll be able to see more of that for the rest of the season yeah rod i uh i was trying to find the the quote from sark because i the situation you when you talk about trust 
and, and and belief in the players and confidence in the players. Where I saw that was, yeah, to to me, a lot of this game, it, it's it's you can look at it a number of different ways. A lot of this game came down to you know when when the possessions where either team's offense was backed up where they're coming off the goal line. Other than the the, la- the last drive of the first half, where Texas didn't do a good job of managing the clock, they were really good coming off the goal line. Yeah. And, oh yeah, and, and if they didn't if they didn't get points, they at least got a couple first downs, got the ball past midfield, and 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 at least flipped the field on Bama. The two Alabama turnovers came on drives where they were backed up, and. What I really like about that, and I asked Sark about it, just, you know, how much do they work on that situationally? And because when you talk about situational football, right, that's not one of those areas that you really, I mean, third down, red zone, goal line, whatever. I don't, it doesn't come to the forefront talking about, you know, when you're backed up in the shadow of your own goalpost, like that situation, working on that a lot. And I asked Sark about it, and, and he said he's got confidence in the players and where he said that. The pass to A.D. Mitchell coming off the goal line that Quinn Ewers hit him with down the sideline, that wasn't the play call. It was up he to Quinn. It. it was up to Quinn. If they got a certain look, yep. then he could then he and A.D. could check to that route. And that's what they did. And I'm like, in that because if he if Quinn guesses wrong or there's a holding penalty in the end zone or it's a bad snap, th- the game completely flips right there. But the fact that you had enough confidence and trust in your quarterback, like, no, I know he knows that he can check to that. I'm comfortable with him doing it. I'm going to trust him. You trust your guys. They play confident. The ball got completed. And I think that was the drive where they ended up missing the field goal. It was. In that I'm run. rewatching the game right now. Yeah. But in that one drive, you're, you're, you're now you're off your goal line. Now you flip the field. It's just, yep. I, I, I love the fact that we talked about it. We talked about it. Uh, I think maybe before the Rice game, Rod, and we're talking about okay, do you do you want to show the first opponent stuff? You might you do want to work on it in the game, or do you trust your guys enough to be able to run in the game? And you said it. You said I think Sart trusts this team enough to be able to go into Tuscaloosa and run that. That's exactly what it was. It's exactly yeah, what it was. You're right about that. That's a great. That's a nice little nugget, man. You're on fire today, Jeff. But uh, and that, now you're right about that. And I would go as far as to say that they've been practicing a lot of these plays in the spring, in the off season during the rice week. And that's why shark was, that's why, that's why Quinn looked so comfortable running yeah. these plays. Right. That's why Quinn looked like he was like, man, what he just looks like the only time he looked rattled really was the tush push, butt fumble was weird. I don't know what the hell that was. That was like him and JT Sanders came and pushed in front of that. That was just a weird play. But that, that you're talking about that, uh, that one drive where I think it was right before the half where he had, he threw low to JT, mm-hmm. he threw high to X-Man on, I think, an RPO. Yep. He just seemed like he just – that was the only drive he looked out of sorts. Every other drive, he looked in command. He looked confident. Like I said, it was, we even saw him get excited and get, yep. get pumped up. Um, and get, Hurrying you know, to get to the line. Yes. And, then, and now you're talking about, Jeff, the ultimate – transformation uh from a cerebral iq perspective is he's running the offense a lot more he's got more command and he's got more authority over the offense and sark's empowering him to have that you know that makes texas even more dangerous now you're talking about this guy with the ability to make decisions at the line of scrimmage and he and sark having a hive mind seeing the same thing on the field 
man, that could get that could get dangerous considering now who the hell are you gonna double team? You gonna double team X Man and or double team A D Mitchell? Um, <laughs> or you gonna double team J T Sanders? Now you're presenting a mathematical equation to the to defensive coordinators that they cannot possibly solve. And on top of that, if you can get the run game going, how the hell am I gonna put eight guys in the box to stop the run? Yeah, be lethal, guys. You've had Wit be able to bail you out on some third downs too, because he's going to always have single coverage when you have all those other oh, weapons. And then, yeah. yeah, exactly. And he had some crucial ones that came through, but it was something I also harped on all off season, and I'll stand by it that last year a lot of the issues weren't Quinn; it was what's up front. And when you look at what Quinn was able to do when kept clean, he's always been an elite level quarterback. His big time throw rate last season was elite. It was like top 11 in the country when he was kept clean. He didn't throw any picks in those scenarios. They were all when he was under pressure. And in this game, he had 34 dropbacks, 33 or 34 dropbacks where he was kept clean. He was 21 of 33 for 247 yards and three touchdowns. And then under pressure, he also had 104 passer rating. He was good under pressure, which you can't count on. Not many quarterbacks ever are. Uh, you have a few freaks like Joe Burrow that can perform like better than they normally do for a season here or there. But he actually had Quinn's passer rating. It was 117 when kept clean. 104 went under pressure. Under pressure, he was three for five for 102. But it's just so key. If he's going to be able to keep be kept clean, he's going to be able to torch defenses all season. The 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 thing we haven't talked about, and Rod, I I you heard me agreeing with you when you're talking about this. The best game plan Sarkis has, the best game he's called. I I didn't know if you're going to be able to keep your pants on when he the first play of the game they come out in empty formation they throw that little bubble screen that little, that little hitch to Cedric Baxter and just let him oh, let him get behind blockers I was like man Rod Rod's probably Rod's probably uh, his football loins have been stirred at this point open up the game in empty. no no doubt I did get I was thinking the same thing I was yelling <laughs> they're empty they're starting empty I told my brother I was like oh Rod's happy. Yeah, sometimes um, I'm like, sometimes I'm not joking. I think like Sark is like listening to the the Blitz podcast, and he's like, "I'm gonna do this just to mess with Rod's head." It's <laughs> like, dude, because remember that that, that Sark's last first, year, yeah, yes, no, Sark's first game calling plays. Remember, I I said on the podcast numerous times that if Sark comes out first play of the game, first series, and runs 21 personnel, I'll be a Sark fan forever. And I'll ne I'll never question his <laughs> offensive genius. Dude, that dude came out at 21 personnel to start the season. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Gold. I dude, I swear sometimes he's listening to or John Bianco's listening, and John's just like, yeah. hey, huh. Davis is talking about empty. You might want to throw something out there, make him look like a fool. Uh, but anyway, I don't know. I, I was happy they did out of 12 personnel, by the way, too. Yes. To try to show the heavy personnel and pivot to pass principles. So no, I like that. They didn't run a lot of empty, they didn't need it. They didn't. They really didn't need it. They didn't run a lot of empty. I thought they'd run more of it. I thought Alabama would run more of it. Uh, neither team ran as much as I thought they would. They did get – there was a big the, – basically the biggest play by Jay Witt came out of empty, I believe. And they did exactly what I said do. They put the, the tight end and the running back out of the number one positions at empty and put the receivers all inside the slot positions. And then they found Jay Witt inside. And Jay Witt got a big – I think it was like a 37-yard gain or something. 31. Like 31 year game. There you go. Uh, the uh, the thing that I was going to say, though, that I, I've been harping on Sark to do this for the first two years and even in the Rice game. Help your offensive line out in the run game. Scheme mm -hmm. some stuff up for them in the run game. And you know what? You look at the numbers and 
you know, they're not great. You're going to say, yeah, they, 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 did, they had problems with the football. Unlike Tommy Reese, Sart, Sart, it's almost like Sart knew, look, if I try to go in and play bully ball, play this game at a phone booth with Alabama, maybe we can, but ultimately we're probably going to be pissing in the wind. They had pinpull <laughs> stuff. They had counters. They attacked the edges. And he, Sark on Monday, attributed a lot of that to Paul Chris. Remember, we, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't connect the dots until Sark did over the summer that he and Paul Christ basically a lot of their offense comes from North Turner. It's a North Turner principle. So basically when it comes to offensive football, they pretty much speak the same language. So if Paul Christ yep. wants to help Sark build run game concepts, the fact that they speak the same language, you can do that. And Rod, I just this is the run game that I've been talking about. This it, with Bijan, you really didn't need to do it because Bijan can be successful in any damn run game you scheme mm-hmm. up. But with the offensive line deficit you're going to have, help those guys out with leverage. Help them out with angles. Play to their strengths. And I thought maybe more than any game he's called in his tenure here, Sart did exactly what he needed to do in terms of scheming the run game to help the offensive line. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I'm with you, man. It was. It was also very well coordinated. It was. I mean, I said I, every time I watch it, I'm more impressed with it. You know, Quinn Ewers had zero turnover worthy passes in this game, like zero. Maybe. And the reason was because of the quality of the passes. They were basically high percentage passes until he decided to take his shots. They were easier completions. Well, the, the offensive line has allowed zero sacks. That also helps the offensive line. You insulate the pass protection when mm-hmm. you get the ball out quickly. Yes. Uh, so offensive line did a really good job too, but it insulates the pass protection a little bit when you get the ball out quickly there. And you start uh, looking at it with the run game too. I'm with you, I think. You saw that uh, element in the run game, how coordinated everything was uh, in the run game. And, I, and I, I, uh, I'm with you about the Paul Chris thing. I mean, maybe that's the influence that Paul Chris is going to have. It's just a more diverse, multifaceted run game. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know the North Turner thing. That's a nice little nugget, too. I will say that that's what I said about the uh, Brennan-Marion connection. People were like, man, Brennan-Marion coming in to be the pass game coordinator. I was like, they're both West Coast uh, offensive guys. So yeah. that's the language. That's that's the language they speak. They speak West Coast passing game. Um, so that's why his offense could be compatible with Sark's offense. And the same thing with Paul Chris. The reason their offenses can't be compatible is through the North the North Turner coaching tree and that philosophy. So that's why they're compatible. So you see that a lot in football. It's like, man, I wonder how they're gonna run that guy's system. It's like, no, no. All they have to do is find a few commonalities, and then you can link a lot of the principles together. Yep. By the and, way, it, uh, doesn't, uh, it also doesn't hurt that uh, when Sark was telling me that this summer that I uh, started beaming because uh, North Turner was the play caller for my all-time favorite NFL team, the 1992 Dallas Cowboys. So just wanted to throw hey that now. in there. 100%. They also and- had a great offensive line, too. Uh, so there you go. And Texas strength right now, one of the strengths on offense is about a lot of them. It, it looks like it might be that O-line. Guys, when you came off that Rice game and Rice was able yeah. to pressure Texas – and the offensive line didn't look like they could pick up the simulated pressures, having trouble with the amoeba fronts. We talked about it at nauseum. Going into this game, I mean, nobody would have thought that Texas offensive line would be the, the first group since 2014 to allow fewer than three quarterback pressures and zero sacks in a game against Alabama. Like, it just that just doesn't happen. But you got to give the coaches have a ton of credit. Coaches are problem solvers. Whatever problems that existed on the O-line, Kelvin Banks kept telling us, it's communication, it's communication, it's communication. If that's the case, give a ton of credit to Jake Majors, and he's kind of the QB of the O-line yeah. uh, for those guys being able to stay on the same page in host- in a hostile environment. 
where the crowd noise was going to play a factor. And they went in there and allowed zero sacks to Alabama and only three quarterback pressures. That's the O-line doing their job, but also that's Sark and the game plan and the scheme too. Yep, and to tie those together and just the ability, the pass game when kept clean, it was Quinn got rid of the ball in 2.11 seconds. That's you're going to find that uh, not much lower of a no, number anywhere. Like Tom Brady wasn't even that low his last year in Tampa. But getting rid of the ball in 2.11 seconds, nobody's going to be able to get back to your quarterback in that time. That's great stat. Damn, that's it's, good, Matt. It's no different. The, the example we've used for the last few years, the 2019 LSU offense, that was not a great offensive line. It wasn't. But Joe the, Burrow. But Joe Burrow's quick release and the fact that Joe Brady understood how to play to Joe Burrow's strengths, how to coordinate an offense to the offensive line strengths. That's why if you when you're talking about maybe the five greatest or three greatest college offenses we've seen in our lifetime. That's a big reason why that one's going to get mentioned. Yeah, they got and the last, talent, but Joe Joe Brady and Joe the Joe Brady Joe Burrow combination did a whole hell of a lot to insulate that offensive line. And that's the last player that went into Alabama and beat them. They had won what fifty two consecutive or twenty two consecutive games, and it's the last loss in Tuscaloosa for Alabama was to Joe Burrow. Rod, to, to wrap that up, it, it, based on our podcast last week and knowing how we when we talk about keys to the game and what needs to happen, if we would have been writing down a checklist for Sark, like what what kind of what does Sark need to do offensively to win this game? You need to do this, need to do this, need to do this. I think he would have checked every box that we could have put on a piece of paper and given him. Like, here's what you need to do to beat Bama. Here's the, here's yep. the path to victory. He did all of it. He did. That's I I was I was giddy watching even like yeah. from the jump like you said from the empty I was like empty formation to start you what you you crazy motor motorboating son of a you know I I, I was loving it. I love the gameplay and I love the fact that he broke tendency I started to recognize I was like dude this is not necessarily the Sark offense that I've watched throwing throwing that much on first down he usually throws a lot but not that much throwing that much out of twelve we even talked about last. Two years, like, man, we want to see him throw more out of 12 because we want to take advantage of JT Sanders while he's here. Well, in this game, basically, this was – I don't know if it was a coming out party for JT Sanders, but it's, he definitely hadn't had a game with 100 yards receiving, has he? Uh, uh, I can check that for you. I don't think so, but I'll pull it up. So. Maybe I, I don't think so. I think, West, I, think West Virgin, I think West Virginia last year, he might have gone over 100. He might have. Uh, okay. Give me just a second. I can uh, look No, no, no. It's just – he. it's the best game he's played, in my opinion. I he may for have sure. gone over 100 somewhere else, but I, I, best game I've seen him play. I think it was a showcase game for Sark. And he, like I say, used X-Men as that decoy. He basically started using him as a decoy after. And no, he hadn't. It was 85 yeah. was the most in the season opener against Louisiana Monroe. I'm telling you, man. And what, and what, and what have we been talking about? You need to showcase JT Sanders more. Like He needs to be featured in the offense at times. And then Sark actually featured him in the second half along with A.D. Mitchell, featuring other guys instead of force-feeding the football to X-Men. But maybe that's because he didn't have the weapons he trusted. Now he's got the weapons he trusted. And it also leads to Sark being a different fourth-quarter play caller, which we all have been uh, pleading with him to. And what, and what do we say, basically? I always said that you know that offense is a it's an amalgamation of cheat code and force multipliers, right? 
And Sark uses all these different, he, he combines them and uses multiple cheat codes and force multipliers like pre-snap motion and play action pass and the RPOs and all these different things on one single play. And he tries to overload the circuitry and the central nervous system of the defense and basically force them into making a mental error, which happens a lot um, against Sark. And in the fourth quarter, or at least in the second half, I've noticed decreased rates in, you know, pre-snap motion and in play action pass and in RPOs and in some of these, you know, some of the bunch formations, the, the cheat codes and force multipliers that make his offense unique. And in the fourth quarter, he basically said, no, I decided to be more aggressive instead of trying to get people in a rhythm and run things they were comfortable with. We just decided to put the you know, pedal to the metal, all gas, no brakes that's essentially what we've been asking him to do. Like, yeah. no, man, mm -hmm. do more, not less, more, not less. Go, go harder. Not, you know what I mean? Don't, yeah. don't actually let up in the fourth quarter. Everything that works, do more of it, inundate them with it. And that's what we saw. So I, I really have no complaints at all, really, about the game plan offensively. It was marvelous. Take a bow. Steve Sarkeesian, yeah. because I think you have now changed the conversation. You don't like what people are saying? Change the conversation? He definitely did that with that win over Bama. Yep, wow. I'm re-watching the fourth quarter right now on a, the secondary game feed, and after you had JT's 50-yard reception, it just saw Vince Young come up behind McConaughey and basically give him a hug, but he looks like he's giving him the Heimlich. He puts his hands on his stomach <laughs> and just almost picks him up. It's gold, something I didn't see in the main TV copy. And, yeah, like you said, Rod, about the breaking tendency, I know Herb Street was harping on it the entire game, was amazed at how many times he was coming out, passing on first down, and it, it sort of aligns with Texas last year, was elite on being able to get – first downs on first or second down and stay away from dealing with Bama, who's a great defense on third and fourth, but they had struggled at stopping people on early downs and they were 88th in the country last season doing so and giving up that same stat. So he came out and attacked them that way and it worked. In my Wednesday, in my Wednesday column, and I'll, I'll wrap up my portion with this, my Wednesday column last week, um, I wrote that for, for better or for better or worse, right or wrong, the, a big part of the book on Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers is going to be written after this game. And, and the, 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 the opinion, the, the opinion of the college football public will go one way or the other on Quinn and Sark after this game, based on the result, if it was going to be a loss, then it was, man, I, I don't know if Sark can win at a high level because you could play Bama close, but you got to start winning those close games at some point. Or otherwise, this fan base is going to go back into Tom Herman, Charlie Strong. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we've seen this before. We're not impressed because you played somebody close. Start winning these games if you want to change our opinion of what you are. And if Quinn Ewers wanted to be you know, that, that first-round type quarterback, that elite quarterback nationally, you got to go play well in one of these games. And I'll be damned if both those things didn't happen because the game Sark called, the game Sark managed, the game Quinn played, the game he executed, the just his poise and confidence – now we're talking about a guy, maybe Quinn's got a chance now to go be one of the better quarterbacks that's that's ever set foot on this campus. Now, maybe Steve Sarkeesian is a championship coach. Maybe he's willing to adapt and willing to change, and he can evolve, and he can, he can be you – no, know, he can shed that seven-win Sark label you know, forever with, with a team like this. It's just – it's a, I knew the conversation was going to change one way or the other on both those guys. And because of the result, Rod, you just said it, 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 it changed on both of those guys dramatically from where it was a week ago. 
Yep, and I, I totally agree. You look at the best games of Quinn's career. This game against Alabama, the beginning of last year against Alabama, Oklahoma, those are his best games. And, hell, throwing the bowl game. Quinn had a great bowl game. There were just some big-time plays that were dropped. But in the big games, Quinn has came through. It's been the other games after his injury last season that Texas didn't play so well. So I would like to say I think Quinn's a good big-game quarterback, and that's a good thing to have. Well, uh, I, I wish we had time to get into Wyoming, but we don't. So Rod and I, we've got various platforms. You can get all, all my stuff and my teammates over at Hornets 24-7, get our work. We'll start previewing Wyoming later in the week. But uh, look, some people can say, oh, you know, focus one game at a time. Take it one game at a time. Move on from Bama. No, the players have to do that. The coaches have to do that. We sure as hell don't have to do that. Since we nope. started this podcast, I've had to come in here and break down a couple losses to Kansas. So excuse me. If I'm not <laughs> if I'm not going to relish this and revel in it for at least a few days. So uh, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up there and uh, get on with uh, just wrap up this week's edition of the show. And we will be back next week to talk about Wyoming and uh, and look ahead to the Big 12 opener guys conference play is here. So we'll be talking about Baylor uh, next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B. Appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast family at Horns 24-7, which anywhere you get your podcast, just search Horns 24-7, click that follow button, get every episode of The Blitz whenever it drops. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic shows and interviews are all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.